namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa purandamang sanghang namasam So Longpore began by speaking about the uh, events that we're remembering on today, Magha Puja, one of the three important holy days in Buddhism, and traditionally the one set aside to uh, recollect the day that 1,250 arahants spontaneously gathered outside of Rajagaha, I believe to, uh, on a full moon night, to listen to the Buddha teach. And this spontaneous gathering um, was composed of a thousand uh, arahants from the brothers, the Kasapa brothers, who were fire-worshipping ascetics who the Buddha had recently converted um, along with their retinues. So a thousand of the, of the thousand two hundred and fifty were from them. And the additional two hundred and fifty came from uh, those who uh, came for refuge in the Buddha with Sariputta, Venerable Sariputta and Venerable Mahamogalana. So Rajagaha, where this teaching took place on this full moon night, was a, uh, about 90 kilometers or so from Bodh Gaya, uh, quite close to the Buddha's place of enlightenment. And uh, I believe near the bamboo grove, which was the first monastery gifted to the Buddha. And on this occasion, the, it's remembered that the Buddha gave his foundational teaching, the Awada Padimoka, which was the heart of the teaching and classically begins with the lines to refrain from doing any evil, to only do the good, and to purify one's mind. This is the teachings of all Buddhas. However, the path to purifying the mind and actions in this way is more complex and is composed of eight steps namely the Noble Eightfold Path that we all are familiar with. And uh, the Buddha would go on in his teachings later in his life and um, in other points during his dispensation to elaborate the full eight steps, obviously, which also can be divided into the three aggregates of sila, morality, samadhi, uh, concentration or unification of mind and panya or wisdom. But on this occasion, he uh, gave just the simple instructions um, that characterize the Awada Padimoka, this foundational or heart of his teaching uh, to do good or to avoid doing evil, to do good and to purify the mind. And giving up evil in our body and speech, or our, our bodily actions and speech, is 
uh, extremely important when undertaking the path, but also is uh, included under the aggregate of sila, or the practice of morality. And the first step in such taking on of sila is to take on the five precepts. Um, and this is the beginning of our path of giving up evil in body and mind. However, to purify the mind is a, another uh, step entirely in the path and is uh, the part of the path which is the practice of samadhi or bhavana um, characterized by the cultivation of mindfulness of sati. And because controlling our mind is so difficult, it's constant movement, um, this bhavana aspect of the path is subtle and difficult. Papancha, or the mind's tendency to proliferate, is something uh, that is extremely difficult to restrain, that we've been engaged in for our uh, entire life and lives before this. And in some ways, this can be part of what we characterize as Mara, or in the suttas, is spoken of as Mara, or the doer of evil, is this aspect or machination of, of papancha can um, lead to a great amount of uh, difficulty and suffering in our lives. However, when we have sati, when we have mindfulness, we learn to restrain this proliferation of the mind, to restrain this papancha, and we slowly but steadily teach the mind and heart to remain still. And when the mind becomes still, then it uh, slowly can learn to see all things around it according to their nature. Then when it is still, um, we don't constantly cling to everything around us. In our normal state of being, because we still have wrong view, all of our actions of body, speech, and mind, we see as ourselves, we take as ours, we attribute self to. And because we bring the attitude and view uh, ending in attachment to these actions and take them as ourselves, then they are comma. Um, when we do bad acts of body, speech, and mind, this is bad karma because we attach to it as ourselves. Similarly, when we do good acts of body, speech, and mind, it's uh, good karma because with our wrong view, we attach to it as ourselves. But the true nature of things goes beyond these labels. This is high dhamma, but the heart of the Buddha's path towards these realizations is the cultivation of mindfulness, the simple practice of strengthening our presence of mind. 
And the Buddha teaches this cultivation of mindfulness in extremely simple steps, uh, namely the cultivation of anapanasati, or mindfulness of breathing. And this practice of mindfulness of breathing is something that the Buddha himself encountered spontaneously when he was seven years old, sitting under the rose apple tree, his father plowing the field, feeling uh, spontaneously the Buddha entered the first jhana at this time. And when Suddhotana, uh, his father, looked over, he saw that the shade of the tree um, had not moved with the sun, even as his child sat there. The shade remained covering him in a miraculous way, despite the movement of the sun. And this was the manifestation of his paramitta, or his spiritual perfections. It was a sign of his destiny and of uh, the unique character of the bodhisattva, the Buddha-to-be. However, this was the second sign. The first sign happened much earlier in the Buddha's life, seven years earlier, when Asita, the uh, ascetic and the, uh, a teacher who the royal court had great respect for, came and foretold the Buddha's path, um, saying that the Prince Siddhartha, the Bodhisattva at that time, would grow up to uh, become an enlightened Buddha. And at that time, Asita mourned because he saw that he himself would not live long enough to see this enlightenment and to pay respects to the Buddha. Um, he grieved at that fact and took the opportunity even then to pay respects to the child, Siddhartha, um, telling his relatives, uh, and his relative at that point, um, one of the members of the court, I believe, or uh, associated with the court, to keep an eye on the prince, and that if the prince, Siddhartha, left for the homeless life, that he must follow him, because great things were in store for the bodhisattva at that time. And indeed, that is what happened to Asita's relative. Um, at a later time, he followed the Buddha into the homeless life and was one of the first to receive his teachings as one of the five ascetics. But the second manifestation of the bodhisattvas or the, uh, the bodhisattvas barami or paramita was under this rose apple tree when spontaneously he entered into the first jhana via uh, anapanasati, or mindfulness of breathing. Uh, of course, the first jhana for the bodhisattva is different than the first jhana for many, uh, for a normal person. His spiritual perfections were such that a state of concentration like that spontaneously manifesting in the mind would be far more powerful for him and a different experience than for the run-of-the-mill person. However, even in our own practice, when we begin to encounter whatever measure of calm we are able to encounter, for example, the first jhana, we can expect to see some common factors. We can expect to encounter pity or rapture, uh, which we might recognize by certain attributes or experiences along with it. Our mouth may begin to water, for example. Our hair may stand on end. We'll feel full. 
And if we remain in a state uh, of concentration where there's a wealth of rapture for a long period of time, we'll come out feeling uh, completely full and uh, refreshed. If we cultivate this state of uh, concentration for longer and longer periods of time, then we can be said to be entering into upachara samadhi, or neighborhood concentration. Uh, and just to give a bit of context, he didn't say this, but um, upachara is generally the state that's considered slightly deeper than kanaka, which is momentary concentration, and right before apana, which is complete absorption. Back to what he said. So, if we continue to cultivate this state of concentration so that rapture arises, then um, over time the mind becomes more powerful and uh, we become filled with the pleasure that came from this pity. And then we can be said to have encountered sukha or pleasure. And as sukha pervades the body and mind, thoughts grow quieter. We might be able to hear sounds, but we will not be interested at that point. And these states can sound hard to reach far away and distant from us. One might wonder if they're accessible at all to your usual person. But it's important to realize that these are states of concentration that anyone can reach if they practice. Just as the Buddha reached the first jhana as a child, so all people can attain to these states of concentration. After encountering this initial taste of the path, in this state of jhana. And then going forth into the homeless life, uh, leaving the palace, the Buddha dedicated his life to looking for an end to suffering. And after attaining full enlightenment, he went on to try and teach it to others around him out of compassion. And um, this comes back to the day that we are commemorating now when the 1250 Arahants all gathered um, because, as we've mentioned, a thousand, uh, many of those Arahants were from the uh, retinue of the Kasapa brothers and all of them were uh, the initial disciples of the Buddha. So the Kasapa brothers were three ascetics uh, with enormous retinues um, of followers and extremely respected in their uh, area. They were characterized in the suttas as fire worshippers, uh, but were, by all accounts, uh, as well and well attained and advanced as anyone in India at that time in terms of their practice and had cultivated extreme, um, extremely refined states of concentration. Uh, Kasapa, the, the first Kasapa brother with the largest retinue who the Buddha encountered first, 
um, had uh, was extremely well practiced and convinced that he was an arahant, and it took a great deal of convincing and even the display of psychic powers for the Buddha to convince him that he was uh, that the Buddha himself was was actually uh, at a higher level than him. But he did, and the three Kasapa brothers converted, as did their uh, followers, and became the uh, in the during the fire sermon, and they became uh, an extremely uh, robust body of uh, arahant followers in the Buddha's initial stages of uh, of teaching. So when one cultivates samadhi when the mind grows calm, then evil cannot arise because the mind is silent. When we are cultivating sila, restraining our bodily actions and our verbal actions, then the heart becomes clean on one level. But if we don't yet know through practice how to restrain our mind and heart, our thoughts, then our mind is still wild and much of what we rely on to keep our good sila, our morality, is just restraint and patient endurance. So it's important that we learn how to cultivate these states of concentration. We might use the parikama or meditation object budo, reciting it uh, as we meditate, we might recite it very quickly if we find that we're thinking a lot, uh, just trying to drown out the thoughts with the parikama. Um, if we still find we can't stop thinking, we can try to press our tongue to the root of the mouth. This can help quiet the mind too as well, strangely enough. Um, and uh, all of these are samatha kamatana, or uh, methods of stilling the mind. Um, we might also recite Budo, Dhammo, Sango um, to recollect the Triple Gem, or Budang Saranam Gachami, which translates as Go to Refuge in the Buddha, Dhamma Saranam Gachami, Sankang Saranam Gachami, I Go to Refuge in the Dhamma, Go to Refuge in the Sangha. And these are all Buddhanusati, Dhammanusati, and Sanganusati, or recollections of the Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha, of the Triple Gem. They're samatha objects that brighten and calm the mind. When we calm the mind, then we have a chance to see the truth of the Buddha's teaching. The clear, collected mind can engage in vipassana or insight meditation and look clearly at the body and mind to see their nature. Specifically, when we've attained a modicum of calm in the mind, we should turn it to our physical body and see it just as a heap of elements and organs uh, that we have attached to. We can see how despite its dirty, impermanent, and delicate nature, we cling to it uh, wholeheartedly and that this leads to uh, attachment, craving, it leads to fear because we see that it will pass, that it's vulnerable. However, if we have mindfulness, sati, if we have a calm heart, we can see clearly if through the practice of vipassana, insight and contemplation, that it is not ours, and this lets attachment go. 
However, it's not simply the body that we contemplate. We can look at anything in our lives, of our possessions, see them all uh, as impermanent and therefore give up our attachment to them. Such contemplation of Vipassana will cause wisdom to grow. And as wisdom becomes stronger, we will see emptiness or voidness. When we see voidness, the mind becomes liberation, liberated and we stop uh, or, or we see not self. We see truth. One who sees not self sees impermanence and therefore perceives Dhamma. So today we have a chance just to practice, to gather and to give ourselves to this path. One does not need to doubt that this is the correct route to walk towards awakening. It is the correct path. And the faith that we've all displayed in gathering here today is an extremely helpful thing that will spur us on the path. But just the faith alone in the Triple Gem is not enough. Uh, we must use it to motivate ourselves, to cultivate the mind and heart so that our wisdom and concentration and other path factors are strong enough that we can uproot the kilesa or defilements. All day, we have to work at this basic practice every day. We must keep our practice uh, of recollection of the Triple Gem consistent and constant. Uh, we may practice chanting in our hearts, uh, recollecting the Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha in our hearts, um, in our minds, and constantly returning to such recollection throughout the day in order to recenter ourselves and strengthen our mindfulness. When we finished whatever duties we had outside in the world, then we return to our practice. We come home and we meditate. And this is the way we cultivate consistently and that we can have faith will bring fruit. As lay people, you can come every day and offer food. Um, this will give rise to joy. You can hold sila. Um, all of these little ways at the basis of service, the basis of the pra practice and of the path. And without effort and even these small uh, things, then we, could, we can't hope to attain to the end fruits of the path. So we should not neglect these basic practices as well. We must be careful around our speech and action. Restrain ourselves even when it's difficult and not give in to the temptation to speak or act out of anger or greed. And when the mind is yet to be calm, much of this restraint will simply come from patient endurance. But as the Buddha said in the Awadipadimoka, which we are commemorating today, patient endurance is the supreme incinerator in which all defilements burn. And so it is a huge ally on this path. The Buddhists taught us to endure, and this is part of how we walk towards Nibbana. So I encourage all of you to practice well tonight. Um, and we're all here working together towards 
the goal that the Buddha pointed to and realized himself. <laughs>